0: Well, as I said at the beginning of our gathering this morning, we're in part two of a message series from 1 Thessalonians, Faith, Hope, and Love. And today we're going to talk about just what is a Christian. Now, growing up, like probably many of you, it used to be that if you were not Jewish or Hindu or Buddhist, you're probably a Christian, uh, whether you were Catholic or Lutheran or Baptist or Episcopalian. But these days... Uh, You really can't hardly tell who is a Christian and who isn't until you really know what that word means. Now, here's a few things that I've heard over the years as a pastor and as a teacher. Well, of course I'm a Christian. I was born in America, for heaven's sakes. Or, well, I was raised in a Christian home. Well, so was your dog and so was the cat. Uh, I was baptized Catholic. Well, yeah, but... That's not enough water. I was baptized as a Baptist. Uh, well, I go to restore. Yeah, that makes you a Christian. Well, I read my Bible every day. Or, I walk the aisle, I said a prayer, I signed a card and shook some hands and they took me in. I've heard all of those things. You've probably heard a lot of stuff like that too. Or you could make it even simpler. All you have to do is say... A Christian is anyone who calls himself or herself a Christian. you agree with that? Which is basically how the pollsters come up with their figures today about how many Christians there are in America. If people claim to be one, well, then they must be one. Or as the famous theologian Humpty Dumpty once said, when I use a term, it means whatever I choose it to mean, nothing more and nothing less. Now, I pondered this question, putting together this message, and I realized that I could give my own answer to this question on many different levels. I mean, first of all, it's perfectly fine with me for people to identify themselves any way they like. Uh, If you say you're a Hindu, I, I won't say that you aren't. If you say that you're a Muslim, I am going to accept that at face value. If you call yourself a Christian, I'm not going to question that. That's one way of looking at it. Second, sometimes acceptance doesn't mean agreement. Uh, I can be friends with a whole lot of people, a whole lot of different people who have a whole lot different views than I do. And I can have a conversation with people who say some of the stupidest things and still enjoy spending time with them, even though I don't totally agree with them. And there's a third part of this, and I, I try to base my faith on the Bible and since that's what I try to do, I know what the Bible says about what it means to be a Christian. Now, at this point, we have a real problem because the Bible only mentions the word Christian three times. I think we might have these passages up on the screen. Yeah, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian Christian? And then in 1 Peter, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Those are the only places in the Bible where that word is actually used. But here's some interesting facts when you look at these passages. First of all, the name Christian was not invented by Christians. It was given to them by a bunch of pagan Gentiles. I mean Christians actually called themselves by a whole lot of different names. They called themselves disciples, they called themselves believers, uh, they called themselves followers, they called themselves brethren, or I don't know if they use the word cistern, probably not, that's not a good word. They called themselves saints or saintesses, they called themselves the elect a whole bunch of things like that. But this term apparently had a negative meaning at the beginning. It was, oh, those people belong to the Christ party. It was a term of contempt. It was a way of mocking people. uh, We kind of get the flavor if you just take that word Christ and pronounce it exactly as it is Christ. They would say, oh, you're a bunch of Christians. It literally means Christ followers. And over time, what happened is that kind of negative term became a positive term uh, but there was always always in the bible uh, a sense of suffering and reproach attached to that name in the new testament if you were a christian it meant you were suffering you're persecuted you were different now if you're going to find a definition what better place to do than turn to google why not go to google And you find out what a Christian is on Google. I I checked it out. I found several of these definitions. One who professes belief in Jesus as Christ. That's what. Or who follows the religion based on the life and teachings of Jesus. That's another one. Or one who lives according to the teachings of Jesus. Now, those definitions were actually quite helpful. I was surprised that they, they had some definitions like that because it gives some content to that word Christian. See, to be a Christian essentially means three different things. It means you believe something, you're following something, and you're living something. That's a Christian, if you will. And so to borrow a, a kind of a contemporary phrase, been around a while, you can just say a Christian is a, what, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, sold out on Jesus. And as I think about that, there's a couple of insights that came to mind. One, first of all, it doesn't happen by accident. You're not uh, born a Christian, uh, nor are you a Christian because of your family heritage. Uh, Being a Christian is not like being Irish or Catholic or German or anything else like that. You aren't a Christian simply because you're born into that family. I know Jeff was born into a pastor's family, did not automatically make him a Christian. I was born into a race. I was born into one family that obviously wasn't. So they gave me to my grandparents, and my grandparents were Lutheran, but I didn't automatically become Lutheran or Christian. The second thing is, it always requires a conversion of the heart. And when I use that word conversion, I simply mean what Jesus meant when he said to the disciples, you need to deny yourself and put all your nonsense aside, take up your cross, which, hold it, there's cross bearing involved in being a Christian, yeah, and follow him. He says that in Luke chapter 9. Very clear. So the heart must be changed so that you can become a follower of Jesus. So in order to flesh out what this whole thing is, just what does it mean to be a Christian, this is where we're actually going to get into the text. If you're wondering where 1 Thessalonians come in, here we go. Uh, this, this particular passage, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. And this is useful for several reasons. First of all, 1 uh, Thessalonians is one of the oldest books in the New Testament. Uh, scholars date this book at about uh, 50 to 51 A.D., which means it was written about 18 years after the life and death of Jesus. And as such, it's the earliest picture that we have of what a Christian and a Christian church is actually All about is, in fact, it's the earliest what we would call missionary document. Now, the second thing is most of the believers in Thessalonica had come come to Christ from idol-worshiping backgrounds. Now, I can't say that I was an idol-worshipper before I became a Christian. I just didn't know Christ. You know, some of you can say the same thing. But Paul's missionary journey to Thessalonica, we saw that in the video, we talked about it last week. He started a small congregation, ta-da, right there, uh, of converted Greeks. You're a whole bunch of converted Greeks with a few believing Jews scattered in, like Anthony. Well, no. And some leading uh, women, um, like Mary Evelyn. Uh, And, um, well, and as Paul says, it only took a matter of weeks before what? This small little group had turned from God, or turned to God, from idols. That's 1 Thessalonians one we We'll get to that a little bit later. But second of it also tells us how these idol worshipers became followers of Christ. And so it offers us what we would call kind of a street-level description of what it really means to be a Christ follower. Now, I say that because the transformation was so complete amongst this group of people after four or five weeks that these former idol worshippers had a huge impact on, on their community uh, they became the talk of the town or as Paul and Silas said in Acts 17.6 they turned the world upside down can you imagine that one town turning the entire world upside down could it possibly be that a gathering of 15, 25, 30 people at Restore could turn the neighborhood upside down is that possible? well that's what we pray about so here we see Christianity in what I would call its undiluted form. And it's no wonder the first Christians turned the world upside down. So what is a Christian? Well, let's take a look at what Paul has to say here. Here's the first thing. A Christian is someone who has been chosen by God. Now, I'm not going to get into election and all that kind of stuff. But let's understand, God knew who was going to become a Christ follower from the very beginning. Okay, We're going to accept that. Now, in verse 4, it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God... That he, God, has chosen you. So if you call yourself a Christian today, guess what? He chose you, Lou, long time, way before you were ever born, before the world began. Um, and so this speaks of the sovereign grace of God in salvation. So do you know what? Do you know that God actually chose you to be saved? If He had not chosen you, guess what? You wouldn't be saved at all. Now sometimes. I get a kick out of people and say, I finally found Jesus. And I go, where was he hiding? <laughs> was he? Oh, okay, he's under here. I found him. I found Jesus. Um, but if he had not found us, guess what? We would have never found him. Uh, salvation begins always with God. It doesn't start with us. He chooses us and then we believe, not the other way around. Now, putting this the matter this way, I simply mean to declare that salvation is all by grace, all of God, all the time. It's just that simple. So as a Christian, and I've been one for a long time, it's a person who has been called or chosen by God, chosen by God himself, and uh, it's not anything to do with me um, or a personal accomplishment, but I understand that it is by grace alone, faith alone, love alone, All of those things, that word alone, has got nothing to do with me. Here's the second point. A Christian is someone who responds to the gospel. Now, the gospel, oiangelion, that's the Greek word, the good news, responds to the good news. And here he says in verse 5, because of our gospel, because of our good news, came to you not only in word, but notice this, also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's really something. See, when the Word is preached in the power of the Spirit, and I don't care what denomination you're in, when the Word of God is preached as it's supposed to out of Scripture in the power of the Spirit, it ought to be producing deep conviction in the hearts of the people who are listening. Now, even when we're not doing our best job as preachers, I mean, I have preached some real clinkers in my life, I know. I, mean, I walked away and I went, What was that all about? And if I don't know what that was all about, what did they even think it was all about? Although I will have to say, I preached a few sermons. I thought that was the worst thing I've ever done. And people go, oh, pastor, uh, the gospel just laid heavy on my heart today. Thanks to the Holy Spirit. So it shows you that it's got nothing to do with us. It's the power of the Spirit through the Word. That's why full conviction uh, matters so much. It means people are so deeply convicted, first of all, of their sin. And their need for a Savior that they literally run to the cross and they embrace Jesus as their only hope of heaven. Now, I'm going to back off here a little bit and talk about a time I was preaching in Russia. And um, I was asked if I could preach at this place the next day. And I said, yeah. And they, said, they had a little community and they said, we just want you to come and preach. Well, I got picked up in the morning. I had taken to a kind of a beat up old opera house in Russia And inside were several thousand people. And I said, I thought you said there's only a small group of people. He said, we decided to have a friendship Sunday. We offered them food and told them we had a world-renowned evangelist with us. Now, I'm sitting on a platform with two guys I brought with me from Trinity Lutheran Church in Bloomington, Illinois, and I knew neither of these guys were evangelists nor were they world-renowned. And I realized I was it. And he said, oh, by the way... When Dr. Kolb is done speaking this morning, he and his team are going to do a healing service. At which time I felt like, exit stage left and feet don't fail me now. But when it was all over, when I preached, and it's like, oh my gosh. I turned to my two prayer partners and I thought, I have a church sermon prepared for this morning. Because the guy asked, how many of you here this morning, now picture like 3,000 people. How many of you know who Jesus is? The front row of this little church, they raised their hand. How many of you don't know who Jesus is? Well, another 2,950 people raised their hand. And I looked at my friends and Mike said, good luck. Good luck. Now, I don't remember much more about this, but what. So I kind of slipped this up. I took my Bible and opened it to John chapter 1. And I preached for about an hour and 15 minutes. I'm not going to do that to you this morning unless I come up with another story. Uh, but I preached for about an hour and 15 minutes, starting at John chapter 1. I got all the way through, of course, John 3, 16, 17, and 18. And then I stopped. And the guy got up he says, I'd like to have Dr. Cole down in the center aisle, his two prayer partners and some other people. And if there's anybody here today who's heard the gospel and wants to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, come on down and they'll pray for you. I, I can still it's like a Billy Graham Crusade. I could not believe people streaming out of the aisles coming down. Now I'm saying all of that to tell you about the very first person who came down. An elderly gentleman, he had been a part of the Russian army, told me through kind of broken English, Russian and in interpreter, that he had been responsible for the death of many people during the wars. But now he was a child of God. And I said, okay. I said, what does it mean to be a child of God? And he said, God chose me. God loves me. God has saved me. I'm a child of God. And I said, yes, you are a child of God. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, now what? I wrote a book called I Believe Not What." I think there's one last copy over there. About not but it just shows you There's somebody who responded to the gospel. Now I should tell you when the healing service began, the first person that came down, uh, their heart was on fire because somebody had placed some uh, evil spirits within them. and so it wasn't just praying for people, you know they had a bad week. these were demon possessed people. But this is what happens when the gospel is preached. people are changed. Now it has nothing to do with me. I'm just I was just some dumb pastor from Illinois who got hooked into preaching someplace I had no idea what I was doing and all I had was the Bible and the Holy Spirit and what happens not me but God's word and the Holy Spirit changed lives people were convicted well here's the third thing and it said that we must preach and we must pray then we must depend on the Lord to give people the grace to respond with saving faith Now, this explains the mystery uh, many people have always kind of wondered about. Why is it that two people can listen to the same sermon and respond differently? Uh, Why will, let's say, one brother accept Jesus Christ and the other brother say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus? Uh, Why does one person believe and the other one says, Jesus, not for me? Well, see, the answer must be that one person had an open heart and another person had a hard heart, at least in terms of the gospel. And without that full conviction that the message must be believed, no one will ever become a Christ follower. See, a Christian then is someone who has been, well, they have been called, they have been chosen, they have responded, and they are saved. Now, here's the third third point. A Christian is someone who regards Christ as infinitely more valuable than earthly suffering. Verse 6, And you became imitators of us and the Lord for what? You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, that characteristic might surprise you a little bit because it speaks of how the Thessalonians responded to the gospel. And in their particular situation, coming to Christ from a background of, pagan worship they forced or they faced enormous cultural pressure and I have no doubt way back then that they faced opposition from their family members who thought they were nuts uh, who uh, in these early days of the Christian movement it was not popular to be a Christ follower but notice the little phrase in spite of severe suffering now I had to go look this up because you know Severe suffering could mean you got a headache. But in the Greek, it means pressed to the limit, pressed to the limit. It has the idea of being under the thumb of someone else, feeling the pressure pushing you down. And to receive the word with joy has the idea of opening up your home and your heart in spite of the fact that the pressure is against you to stop doing that. In this case, the Thessalonians were so glad to be saved that they could not stop be stopped even because of persecution now again I'm taking back on the mission field I have seen this in a variety of different places in my life I've seen it in Kazakhstan where I've been I've seen it in Haiti I see it in India I've seen it in Russia and in these places where being a Christian literally costs you something I have seen deeper joy in the hearts of some people than I see who are sitting there. Like that in American churches. See, here we kind of tend to take our blessings uh, for granted. And there every day is a gift from God and every Sunday is an oasis, literally in a desert of society. Now, Jesus never invites any of us to receive him on a trial basis. Although a lot of people kind of try to do that. Uh, In the words of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's not a real popular uh, slogan if you're advertising something. See, true conversion means that you continue to follow Christ even when the going gets tough. So again, let me ask the question, what is a Christian? Well, somebody who joyfully chooses Jesus no matter what it costs. Now, here's the fourth one. A Christian is someone whose life has been uh, been changed, genuinely changed, by Jesus Christ. Now, look at these next words. Verses 7 8. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that you need not say anything. Now, in my, what I have read... Think about that word example. Let's start with that word example, just for a moment. Example is the Greek word tupos, which which is a word that they use for an impression made by a piece of metal into a piece of clay. You can picture that. You've got something on this piece of metal, and you push it into clay; it makes an impression. And so that here's here's really the secret of evangelism, if you will. The best way to win others is by example of your own changed life. Something is pressed down in your life. You're going out and pressing it down in somebody else's life. Maybe you remember a story. This is in, uh, in uh, Mark 5. I only remember that uh, right now because I taught Mark 5 this last week in a Bible class here in town. Where uh, Jesus cast demons out of this demonized man And the of The pigs ran over the cliff. You know that story. Maybe some of you know that story. If you don't, go read that in Mark 5. And um, he immediately asked Jesus, "Can I go with you? I want to be one of you. I want to go everywhere with you." And Jesus says, "No, uh, go home. Go home to your friends and tell them what the Lord has done for you." And so we all know what a satisfied customer, if you will, is the best advertisement for any product. Uh, you guys are the best salespeople for Restore or for what it means to be a Christ follower. So the best place for you to impact. For Jesus is right where you are. Uh, You don't have to go overseas to be a missionary. Uh, You don't have to have multiple degrees (laughs) to be uh, a person who can do this. You can start just by living for Jesus, showing the difference that he makes in your life on a daily basis. Now, this word sounded forth in that passage, again, another great Greek word, ekatio, means to sound forth like a trumpet or thunder. Uh, You start by living for Jesus and showing others the difference it makes on a daily basis. So this sounding forth, it kind of when you share Jesus, it kind of rumbles through the neighborhood, kind of like thunder does here in the Ozarks. Now, that's one thing I I get a kick out of here living in the Ozarks. When it thunders by my house, it just rumbles and rumbles and rumbles and it keeps rolling through these hills and valleys. So in the words of one commentator, the Thessalonians sounded reveille and the whole province woke up. So there's the evidence, if you will, of true Christianity. First you receive God's word gladly, then you live it out on a daily basis. And as you do, the message of the gospel just kind of reverberates in every direction. All those around you begin to sit up and notice. In other words, a Christian, a Christ follower is a person who's uh, changed life, uh, changes other people because of a commitment to be like Jesus and to follow Him wherever He leads. I don't know if any of you have had a life, I know you haven't had a life exactly like mine, but I don't know if you ever had this experience where somebody meets you after many years and they get to talk and they go, you know something, you're really different than I remember. And I kind of go, yeah. And they say, weren't you part of this group called the Rat Pack. And I go, yeah. You guys were... I said, yeah. (laughs) So what gives? (laughs) I said, well, what gives is Jesus. That made a difference in my life. That is no longer part of my life. This is my life now. It's a changed life that changes others. To be more like Jesus and to follow him wherever he leads. Now, here's the fifth point. A Christian is someone who's gone all in for Jesus. Sold out, if you want to use those words. Verses 9 and 10. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, again, there's, there's two interesting verbs in that sentence here. And the first one is you turned. Then it says you serve and then you wait See, the whole Christian life, if you will, can kind of be revolving around just those six words. You turned from your old way of life. uh, You now serve the living God. And now what are you doing? You're just waiting for the return of Jesus. Those phrases give us the three tenses of the Christian life. In the past, you turned from whatever your idols were. In the present, you're serving a living God. And in the future, hey... I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back, and if He chooses to come back before I end this sermon, it would delight me to no end. We'd all be out of here without even taking the collection. So let's go back. We don't take one anyway. but let me go back to the question posed at the beginning. What is a Christian? Amen. Well, I have my own answer to this. I don't know if I put it on the screen or not, but maybe I did. But a Christian is a person who has been totally or truly converted to Jesus. It requires, it begins with God, uh, and um, and it's his choice of us. It requires the true preaching of the gospel. It leads to a heartfelt acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior. It results in a changed life, and that change changes other people's lives too. Now, I want you to understand that it begins with God and his choice of us. It requires true preaching of the gospel. It leads to heartfelt acceptance of Jesus. I'll say that again as Savior. A changed life that changes other people. So the question is, are you satisfied with Jesus? Are you satisfied with Jesus? Are you satisfied with him today? Now, if you look within, if you look at yourself, you're always going to be disappointed. Uh, because your faith will almost always seem like what you're doing is not quite enough. That work righteousness kind of likes to pull you back back some other direction. But if you look at your heart, well, guess what? You're only going to see your sinfulness. If you look at your outward performance, uh, you'll be discouraged by your failure to live as a true Christian. So an honest self-examination leads to this conclusion. We have done things we ought not have done. We have left undone things we probably should have done, but either way we look at it, we have to acknowledge we've already done that today in brokenness. We are a bunch of pathetic losers, and if God only wanted winners, guess what? Um, We probably wouldn't have been chosen anywhere along the line because we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. So, don't look to yourself. Don't look at yourself to find the answers, because if you do, you're only going to be disappointed. You have to look outside yourself, and that means always keeping your eyes focused on Jesus and the cross. And when you look to Jesus, this is what you find. Two thousand years ago, Jesus died on a cross. Not quite a fancy one like that on the wall. He poured out his blood for your sins and my sins. He died in our place. He took all of our punishment that we might be saved. He, we are cleansed, we are forgiven, we've been declared righteous, we are called born again, and we are the true children of God. And when God looked down from heaven and saw His Son Jesus dying on the cross, He said, I'm satisfied with what my Son has done. And we know that He was satisfied because on the third day what happened? He raised that Son back to life again. God was satisfied. So the question is, are you satisfied? That's the central question of the spiritual life. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Or do you think that you somehow need to add something to what he did for you? That's why I'm going to ask the question one more time. So what is a Christian? And I think I have three things. A Christian is a person who's been truly converted to Jesus. A Christian is a person who's truly satisfied with Jesus and what he's done for him on the cross. A Christian is someone who is so satisfied with Jesus that he says, I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ completely for my salvation. A Christian says, if Jesus can't take me to heaven, I'm not going there. That's what a Christian says, and that's what a Christian is. Maybe that's why we sing this next song, to remind us that he is the Lord of all. Why don't we stand and join Mary Evelyn in this song.